to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. And he's Welcome to another episode of the Duck Pod. I'm Register Guard sports columnist Austin Meek here with Steve Mims. It's another summer vacation edition of the Duck Pod. It's that time of year. I always say it's crazy how desperate college football fans are that in the middle of July they will be entertained by coaches sitting behind microphones and spouting cliches. It's uh, the, the frenzy around media days always amazes me, especially SEC media days. I'll give the Pac-12 some credit that at least they don't spread theirs out over a whole week. It's just one day. Next week, all the coaches will be in L.A. Uh, we'll have plenty of stories from that when it comes. But Steve, so uh, if, if you were in L.A. next week and had one question that you could ask Oregon coach Mario Cristobal when he's at the podium, what would you ask him? I think I'd go back to sort of the how the play calling is going to work in terms of we know Arroyo's going to call the plays. Mario's down on the field. You know, Mario hasn't been in that position as the head coach, obviously, in eight years. Arroyo's kind of the first time he's been the, the primary play caller at this. We saw it didn't go really well in their debut in Vegas. I'd, I'd ask him sort of if they look back on Vegas – and kind of look at kind of how it all worked, just sort of the the chain of command, how the plays came down. If they if they feel like looking back on it, that that maybe there are some changes to make, just in terms of not exactly the plays that were called, but but maybe just in sort of how it was kind of carried out down to the field, and and whether Mario felt like you know being being the guy, you know, the, for the first time in in what eight years was, and you know, kind of some changes he'd make in terms of game day operations. So that's you know, and they've got three games obviously to where they can kind of work through those kinks, but I think that's the big thing that came out of the Vegas Bowl for me was just sort of how between Arroyo and Cristobal, who are both in roles they haven't been in before, what they take from that and now eight months later to, to make it run more smooth. I think that's a valid question. If you remember the very first play from scrimmage in the Vegas Bowl, they got a delay of game. Yeah, I remember asking Mario Cristobal about that, and I still don't think I understand what his explanation was. So yeah, I, I think that's a totally fair question. I think I would ask him to describe Oregon's identity in 10 words or less. Because one thing, um, one thing I've observed about Oregon football since Mario took over, and it's not necessarily a criticism, just an observation, is that uh, it, it's been a little bit hard to figure out what they're going to be. Um, I, I, it kind of feels like they want to be a little bit of everything. Um, and I don't know that you can be... Chip Kelly's Oregon and Nick Saban's Alabama. Uh, it's not necessarily that you just have to lock yourself into one one thing that we do. Um, every team now does multiple things. Alabama runs the spread. You know, Pac-12 teams play SEC style football. It, you know, a lot of those distinctions have have kind of melted away. But I still think you have to have some type of general uh, identity that you build your program around and I'd, I'd like to know um, I'd like to know how Mario Cristobal envisions that for Oregon yeah, this this coaching staff one thing about them right or wrong good or bad um, they're they're not shy about hyping up 
basically everybody. Um, you know, and <laughs> yeah, I guess that's a good way to get fans excited and get momentum going. But the one, um, I guess, the one challenge with that is, you know, not. Not everything that's being hyped up now about Oregon football is actually going to bear out on the field. So you have to you have to kind of sort through the noise a little bit and say, okay, who who are the guys on this team that are really going to be the the foundation players for this first year under Mario Cristobal, and and what what's the style going to be? What's what's the philosophy? How are they really going to play? Yeah, I've you know, in talking about I can think back to talking about the the father of a recruit and the father of a player, and both of them said that the message from Mario was this was going to be some smash mouth football. This was we want the line to be, you know, control the to control the line and to have our guys up there pushing the other guys back and making the way and and that you know just isn't what we've heard from Oregon in the past, obviously. But it feels like that's what they want to do. But you're right. At the same time, I think they also feel like, hey, wait a minute, this kind of program that we've come into has made its name through being flashy and through being the blur. So we don't want to absolutely, you know, move away from that. We want to keep some of that. So I think you're right that there is, an, you know, maybe some idea that we need to be this, you know, this this power offense and run it this way. But we also need to try to hang on to some of the, the stuff that's gotten us, you know, to this point as a program and that some of these players were brought into play. So it will be fascinating to see now basically what will be Mario's second recruiting class, you know, be including being the year with Willie, um, you know, and then still having more than half the team that came from, you know, the other coaching staff. Um, it will be interesting to see how they meld this year and, and if he does decide that, hey, yeah, we're going to do the powerhouse and, and play it this way or if he feels like he needs to still kind of do some other things as he tries to convert this into his brand. Yeah, and how does he assimilate what he wants to do with, with the team that he has? Because... Um, Royce Freeman is gone, um, and Tony Brooks James has proven to be a, a talented running back, but not necessarily you know the big physical between the tackles type running back that, that Royce Freeman was. But if you're following all these strength coaches on Twitter now, you're seeing that Tony Brooks James <laughs> is immensely bulked up and is apparently doing it to quiet all the haters and everything. So that I mean that might be part of it too is that they they know that hey people look and think we don't have this power back. Well hey let's you know the strength yeah. guys are out here tweeting out that hey by the way look who's bulking up is Tony Brooks James so don't question that we have that. That power back now. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely a degree of marketing that's going on right now that's uh, different than what we've seen. Uh, the strength of the team, you'd think, is going to be Justin Herbert, and that's a little bit contingent upon the wide receivers stepping up and, and providing him targets to throw to, but uh, to me, you build your team around Justin Herbert. He is clearly the uh, the guy uh, that the should have this team in his hands, have the ball in his hands. Um, the offense should revolve around Justin Herbert's skill set. So that's just another variable that you throw in there. You know, maybe ideally, uh, if Mario Cristobal had his way, Oregon would be a team that runs the ball sixty percent of the time, um, sort of like they did with Chip Kelly, not in the same fashion, but the same type of distribution. But I think this year Oregon should be a team uh, that really puts everything not everything but really puts the focus on Justin Herbert because you don't have a quarterback like that every year uh this may be the last who knows this may be the last season Justin Herbert plays um so I I think the offense has to run through him 
Yeah, particularly you mentioned with the personnel. I mean, you look, and even a bulked-up Tony Brooks-James getting 18 to 20 carries a game. You know, Taj Griffin's the only other running back on the roster who's really played in the game. You've got Darian Felix who played a little bit, but then you've got a bunch of true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and maybe they know a little bit more or feel a little bit better about what they've got. But, I mean, that just adds to, to what you say to, to putting it on Herbert because there really isn't an – I mean, I don't think you can go into a, a game right now, an important game, and try to figure out where you're divvying up 60% of the offenses running the ball and feeling comfortable about giving those guys the ball that amount of time until we see it a little bit more so I think you have to go into it figuring that you're you're riding Herbert's arm a little bit and you you test out the young guys running again schedule sets up to where those three games and you know, it's almost an exhibition season where they can get these running backs in there and see if they feel like they've got a little bit more than maybe it looks like for now but and if obviously you're not going to use Herbert as much in those games as you might need to so it may be a situation to where those first three they kind of see what else they got knowing that hey if we get through that and don't feel good about the other things we know we've got number 10 at quarterback to, to rely upon the Pac-12 preseason ballot showed up in our inboxes last week um, I haven't sat down and gone through one through six in both divisions yet but Steve what's your gut feeling about where Oregon will end up in the in the preseason media voting well I think you know, I think Washington will probably be the unanimous in the North. I, I, you know, I would expect that there. I think Stanford's probably the two, but I think Oregon might be closer to them in a Pac-10 poll than in a national poll. I think nationally, Stanford's seen as being, you know, the number two team out of this division, whereas I think the Pac-12 followers might have a little bit more of an eye on Oregon. I think it's close there. I do think Oregon's the pick over Washington State. I, I guess there could be a possibility that the Washington State's third. I, I would expect Oregon to be third. You know, with a, a comfortable margin over Washington State, and then Cal four and or, or five, and, and Oregon State six. But I would I would almost be surprised if Washington wasn't a unanimous, and then if Stanford wasn't, uh, like I say, ahead over Oregon. But I don't think it's going to be a clear one two. I think that two three four will be a little bit mixed up with people. Yeah, Stanford may get a little love. Because of Bryce Love, there might be a couple uh, first-place votes in there for Stanford, but I do think Washington is the favorite. And I agree with you that I think I think Oregon is closer to being number two than being number four. Yeah, my, uh, my hot take at this moment in time is that Washington State may not even be the fourth team. Washington State might be fifth or sixth, at least in my ballot. Um, I, I just... I don't know. I could see Washington State really having a down year this year. They lost a lot from last year. Of course, they had the the tragedy with quarterback Ryan Holinsky. Uh, Mike Leach was very publicly trying to get out of Pullman. Uh, <laughs> had some bizarre controversy where he was tweeting out Dr. Barack Obama speeches. So I, nothing, nothing to me about Washington State says a team that's going to finish in the top half of the Pac-12 North. So I think those top three, Washington, Stanford, and Oregon, are pretty well set. Yeah, and again, as, as everybody's talked about, you know, you look at the schedule and, and the two ahead of Morgan gets it home this year. And, you know, Stanford's going to be interesting because, um, you know, when Oregon's going to that game – feeling pretty good about itself. I'm guessing Oregon's probably in the top 25 at that point because they're going to be 3-0. And just if you start out at, you know, also receiving votes, just some, by the way teams lose, you know, and people aren't looking at your quality win, just you get to 3-0. I think they're in there and 
Stanford, I think, has USC the week or two right before that. They have an early USC, I believe. So they're going to have had a much bigger test. They may have a loss, but they'll have a test. And we've seen some Stanford teams in the past, you know, that lose an early one, lose to Northwestern even, or, or yeah. lose to USC and then come back. And it's sort of like those Stanford teams, you know, maybe don't come in with as much hype and, and feeling like they're national title contenders. So an early loss doesn't kind of knock them off the rails. So I think you're going to see that Otson game. You know, Oregon's going to feel really good about itself. I think Stanford's going to come in sort of as the underdog, like I say, maybe with a loss or so on there. And it's going to set up for a terrific matchup in September, really. the You know, every, it's just going to be tough to judge anything Oregon does, barring a disaster where something goes terribly wrong in those first three. There's going to be no way to judge Oregon until Stanford comes here. Yeah. Well, on another subject, you and I were at Jane Sanders Stadium yesterday for the introduction of Melissa Lombardi as Oregon's new softball coach. Missy Lombardi, I guess, as is, is she's known by everyone now. As her boss calls her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If, if the AD calls her Missy, then I guess we all have permission. Um, what were your uh, What were your takeaways from the introduction of the new Oregon softball coach? I guess my main thing was just, you know, the number of players who showed up. I think there was some, you talked about today, there was some thought that just, you know, how many of the players were disappointed that Mike White left how many of them may have been thinking about trying to follow him or, or looking at other options for them and either the fact there were a lot of players that showed up um, the ones that were made available to the media including Shannon Rhodes who's from Texas who if there's any player you think might want to follow Mike White home um, and and said she was was pleased with the with the new coach I asked Lombardi if any player had told her that they were going to transfer and, and she smiled and said no so she took that as a good sign she hasn't had a full team meeting with him yet but it seems like at least and now these things can change you know sometimes the the high of the press conference carries over you know when you have that first meeting with a coach and you hear something different but it seems like she you know through kind of her reputation of what she can do the fact she's been a pitching coach and and comes in and takes over a good pitching staff it seems like the, the players at least initially have bought in and, and they're not going to deal with any sort of a you know a major fracture from the from the the returning players yeah it, it seems that way I talked to Lauren Burke after the press conference too and she's excited about Melissa Lombardi and uh, it does seem like that was that was a big question with a new coach is um, would would the team buy in to somebody who is a different voice than the coach who recruited those players developed those players they came to Oregon to play for Mike White Mike White's gone now but there did seem to be at least initially some some excitement within the team about Melissa Lombardi. Um, you know, I, I wrote about this a little bit today. It, it definitely is a risk to hire uh, a first-time head coach, uh, even one who is as accomplished as Melissa Lombardi. No question she's qualified for the job. Um, 21 years as an assistant, four national championships at Oklahoma. I, she, clearly she's ready um but still there's there's just a level of unknown <laughs> it actually was not even one of us it was becky sisley the former <laughs> oregon softball coach who who asked the question it was a it's a fair question and a valid question and i thought uh melissa lombardi was prepared with her answer and so we'll just we'll see where it goes but um the other thing that that occurred to me is even though there is uh, an element of unknown here it does kind of feel like maybe this is the right time for oregon to to try something new. I just, I had started to feel like, and this year really, I think, confirmed it for me when Oregon went to Oklahoma City as the number one seed, lost after three games. I, I just started to feel like, you know, maybe maybe Mike White has taken this team as far as he can take them. Maybe there's just something in, in the way Mike White approaches things that had made this team 
a Pac-12 champion, a national contender every year, but but maybe there was just a hurdle there that he was not going to cross at Oregon. So maybe this is a good time for somebody else to take a shot at it. Um, you know, Melissa Lombardi doesn't have to build the program. She's taken over a team that already has the pieces in place, uh, and she made the point that, you know, when you get to that level, when you're in Oklahoma City, there's just a few little things that separate the teams that can win it all from the teams that just get there. And so if she's got a few of those little things, maybe that's all it would take for Oregon to take that next step. Yeah, because it feels like, and I was thinking that this year to be interesting to go back and look, I didn't feel like they ever, you know, during those five College World Series trips, ever went there as, you know, the underdog, maybe the first time to where, you know, they were the the lower seed. And, and you know, it seems like each of those years there was a, a loss in there that was to a team seated below them that, that either eliminated them or knocked them into the loser's bracket. I mean, I think if you go back, it feels like they were records probably under 500 against teams seated lower than them in the tournament. So you're right. I mean, it and, you know, that becomes a pattern of deal. Like I say, then twice they've been the number one seed and haven't gotten it done so um yeah i think you know if they get you know and she comes into a team that's going to be projected to go back to their next year i mean this isn't any sort of a rebuild with that pitching staff so it would be interesting for them to you know maybe the regular season doesn't go as well maybe there's some more bumps there but they get their way through and and then see what happens in oklahoma city with somebody who you're you're right i mean you hear from somebody who has raised the trophy four times rather than somebody who keeps talking about we got to get this done we got to break through somebody who has broken through yeah you wonder if maybe there was a little bit of a mental block there with with my White's teams that you get to Oklahoma City and the first time things start to go bad there's like the feeling of here we go again versus with Melissa Lombardi that's that's gone you're starting fresh and maybe maybe having that weight lifted a little bit is is what they need all right well uh Ryan Thorburn is making his way across the western United States right now we assume Ryan if you're listening keep your hands on the wheel get back here safely so you can cover Pac-12 media days we'll be ramping up the podcasts I'm sure once that happens Uh, Until then, thanks for checking out the Duck Pod, and we'll talk to you later.